Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Shock results, loads of penalties and everyone dead on their feet after 70 minutes. Welcome to the 2020-21 Premier League season and welcome to the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. I'm Dan Burke and I'm joined this week by Lewis Ambrose Hello. and Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So are you both excited for another international break? I am. Watching Arsenal last night. <laughs> <laughs> Grimming with excitement. Yeah. Watching that uh, City Liverpool game yesterday, I think what those players really need is a good break. So it's a good job they don't have to go and play three matches with the national teams now, isn't it? <laughs> we'll start at the Etihad this week, where Sunday's big match between the two title favourites finished Man City 1, Liverpool 1. Um, Lewis, I'm curious to get your take on this because I feel like games like this, when, when your team is involved, it, it's so kind of absorbing that you don't really sort of look at the bigger picture. Did you enjoy this match as a neutral? Was it entertaining for you? I enjoyed the first hour of this match. Um, and then I feel like I enjoyed the last half an hour of this match, but because I'd already sort of been sucked into enjoying it and mm. thinking that I was excited and very interested. I thought the first half in uh, in particular was great. I thought both teams, I was quite surprised. I actually um, I texted Joel a couple of times. Uh, you see like Liverpool lining up with the front four and stuff. I was just quite surprised that um, both teams looked like they really thought they had to win this. This mm. looked like a two title contenders playing with five games to go, not just sort of seven or eight games into the season to me. Um, which did surprise me a bit. I thought especially Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool going away from home might be happy with a point. Um, I understand it a little bit more, I guess, with City playing at home and haven't had the best of starts. So, yeah, I was surprised by that. But it led to a really, really exciting opening 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes, I think. And I think, I don't know, I'd have to ask you two. You maybe both feel a little bit like you both played all right but could have left with all three points I guess yeah well I mean the the result means Liverpool are five points ahead of City now City do still have a game in hand um Joel who do you think should be happy with that me or you <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's going off sort of what Lewis said it's a strange one because it did feel like it was a must well the team played like it was a must win um especially for, during the first half but I, I, it's not really, is it? I, I know we've we've gone through two seasons where, or maybe three seasons where, uh, Liverpool and Man City can't really drop any points because you know they're going to get a hundred or ninety points and that's going to win the league. So you can only lose one or two games. But I think what we see at the start of this season proves that that's not going to be the campaign that we're going to have in front of us this year. Um, so to be honest, I, I think we both can be happy about this. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I think what what we saw in that ninety minutes is. Especially the first 30 minutes for Liverpool, I thought, I thought Liverpool were amazing. And, and then City could not get out. It, always, it felt like Liverpool and, and well, Klopp and Linders have sort of set up to um, to blow you away in the first 30 minutes. I think they've seen that City have started very slowly in games, uh, in most of the Premier League games this season. And I thought Liverpool have been, especially in the past, great at blowing City away. In, in, mainly at Anfield, I would say. Um, although they did the 4-1 a couple of years ago, didn't they? Mm. Um, and I thought they they set up, especially the team selection, but also the fact how high the line was, and that they sort of compressed the, the pitch into uh, into the city's half. The, the aim was to to get that to two 0 as, as soon as possible, 
and then you know, good luck to City trying to get through. Um, but obviously they, they couldn't they couldn't do that. And then you look at the the way that the rest of the game played out. You know, City could, should have been two one up at half time, mm-hmm. and then I thought that would have been unfair. But at the same time, City had the, the clear cut chances for the rest of the game. So I think both teams could have a you know an argument to say they deserve to win. The draws the fair result in the end. And I think both teams could you know when they come to analyse this game. Both will have a lot of positives to come from it. I thought, I thought it was a great game, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought City had an awful 20, 30 minutes at the start of the game, and I was really fearing the worst when I saw Liverpool starting lineup. actually. At 1-0, I, I thought City could get battered here. I was just hoping they wouldn't lose by an embarrassing scoreline. In the end, I was a bit disappointed we didn't win it, and I think if Kevin De Bruyne had been wearing his boots on the right feet, I think City probably would have won it, actually. I don't just mean with the penalty miss, either. I thought some of his his final passes and, and shots were pretty poor, De Bruyne. I think, you know, when he plays well, City generally tend to win um, and I think that was probably the difference yesterday um, but yeah I mean I, I feel quite okay with the point and it's given me a bit of confidence that City are at the same level as Liverpool this season after you know being so far behind them last season it does feel like City have caught up a little bit um, you know defensively they look so much more solid um, how did you think Liverpool did with that 4-2-4 formation is that something you can see Klopp trying again I mean obviously there's been a lot of debate about um, Firmino's role in the team now that Jota started scoring goals and it was Firmino who got brought off in the second half wasn't it? Yeah, I was surprised that it played out to be four two four. To be honest, because I, when I when I first saw it, I was thinking that's brave. That is that is bold. Uh, would not have done that away at City myself. Um, but I guess at the moment we don't have Fabinho, who w- would be sort of the the insurance policy at the back or you know in front of the back four. Um, so I thought it might have been four two three one, and Salah would have been up front and then the three behind him, but. It, it was it was four two four. It was there to try and put the foot on, on City's throat. Um, it's it's a strange one. I I I think Roberto Firmino's position is the one that's going to be the question a question mark over it for a, for a fair few weeks now. Um, and you know Diego Joss is doing everything he can to play up front with with Salah and Mane and, and get ahead of him. Um, it's interesting that he's he's tried to get them all in in probably you know our biggest or second biggest game of the season. So I think it is something he will try again, especially when when we don't have you know Thiago available or Fabinho's got to play at centre half and Van Dijk's not here. That you know maybe it's something we're going to see again. He's clearly just watched. You know the best team in the league, Southampton, and just thought I'm just going to try and copy that formation. Let's <laughs> try and do that. I I, I liked it. I, I, it works the first thirty minutes, and I think if we can try and you know, I I think it's the second time he's tried this, so it's still going to be very early days. Obviously, they've worked on it in the training pitch, but I would like to see it again. I, I, going off what we saw in our first half, anyway. But um, yeah, it's for, for me, it's the one we got to watch out for. I, I I think his his time as an automatic starter is possibly come to an end. Mm. Well, speaking of Brazilian strikers, Gabriel Jesus took the equaliser really well for City. I must admit, I've never been the biggest fan of his, to be honest. I, um, I think he, you know, he's, he's a really good, talented player, but he does often sort of miss big chances or, or goes missing in games. What, where do you stand on Jesus Lewis? Do you, are, you, are you a fan of his? I like him. I think there's... It's always hard, right, when you come into a club and you've got someone like Sergio Aguero and then Aguero doesn't play, maybe he's injured or he has a rest or something and you want that young guy to come in and sort of be a replacement or live up to what you're usually used to getting from the player in that position, um, which is just the highest standard basically that we've ever seen in the Premier League from a striker. Mm. So I think I think Jesus is good. He's just different. Um, I think he works so, so hard. He understands exactly what Guardiola wants from him. I think he had a bit of luck with the goal. I thought the, the first touch was... 
Bergkamp-esque. The, the, yeah, that actually went through my mind. That, like, oh, did he mean it? I'm pretty sure he didn't. Um, but he, but even then, he like he reacted really well to mm. to the bounce and and turned a lot quicker than was it Joe Gomez who was on him and to to sort of just poke it past uh, past Allison. I think he's a good striker, and I think he has a bit of that poacher about him that maybe you see a lot from from Sterling and the problem is that's only maybe half of Aguero's goals and the other half where he'll sort of there'll be a moment of magic and he'll do something on his own and those goals probably don't come from Gabriel Jesus and I gotta say I think City have missed him uh, the last few weeks Mm. when obviously Aguero's been out and st- this this weird stuff like Sterling playing up front. I think we spoke a couple of weeks ago about saying that not only are you missing a striker then, but obviously you're taking something away from Sterling's mm. game as well. Mm. Uh, so I think just the fact that you've got a striker again who's available to play should be a big boost. And his goal record for a player that's never really played a lot of regular football is pretty outstanding. It is to be fair, yeah, and and his work off the ball is really good as well. I thought he was excellent at pressing uh, Liverpool's back line yesterday, so that's something you get from him that you don't get as much from Aguero actually. So maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on him, and maybe it'll prove me wrong in the long run. But I think my my problem with Jesus perhaps stems from the fact that when he came, everyone was saying that we we had the new uh, Ronaldo as in the new Brazilian Ronaldo <laughs> on our hands, and he hasn't quite lived up to those expectations yet. But you know, this time indeed, <laughs> there were no complaints about the decision for Liverpool's penalty, but apparently quite a few complaints about the. Joe Gomez handball. What did you make of that one, Joel? I'm going to watch it straight away. I thought it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah. same. I, I, I was surprised <laughs> that he gave a corner, to be honest, in, hmm. in the first place. I think he did that because he, he knew that they were going to have a look at it and he, he was safe. Uh, Craig Pawson, this is to make that decision. But no, I, I, absolutely no, no complaints for the, for the penalty. I'm surprised that there's been an argument afterwards. And uh, Gomez interview, was interviewed by Sky and, and he sort of backed up his, his claim, which, which he's going to do. But it is a penalty. I think even if the handball rule isn't as you know as absurd as it is, I think it still would be a penalty in normal seasons. Um, and for Liverpool's, um, I was. It's, it's a weird one because if Manny does make the most of it, but again, Walker clips him, and if, if Manny stays on his feet, it's not a penalty. So he, I guess he has to go down. I, I mean, and he's going down at such speed. I, I mean, I, that one's a bit more questionable, but I still think. That, that's a penalty as well. I thought that was Stonewall, to be fair. I think the only thing that you would complain about that is that there was a similar foul at the other end uh, for Sterling just a couple of minutes earlier yeah. when he stayed on his feet and uh, it wasn't given. If he'd gone down there, he probably would have got the free kick as well. Exactly so. that, it's interesting yeah. that, isn't it? Because last week, was it last or two weeks ago, there was talk about Salah going down too easily mm. to win a penalty. Mm. And then you see there in that one move that the player who tries to stay on his feet doesn't get the foul and the player who goes <laughs> yeah. down as soon as there's the contact, he does get the foul. So it's no wonder that players go down as soon as there's a bit of contact because the ref just don't give the foul if you stay up. Yeah, but that's 41 penalties in 80 Premier League matches now. That's too many, isn't it, Lewis? Uh, it's, we've talked about it before, obviously. <laughs> like when the, when the game's defi- decided by such like small margins, then you're just sort of... Penalties shouldn't decide this many football games. Mm, and no. they're just the the weight of them is far too much. I didn't, um, I didn't think the penalty for Liverpool was one personally. I don't know. Like, I think if we want to see penalties reduced, like VAR especially, there's a there's a leaning towards just giving a penalty as soon as anyone goes down and there was any contact. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know the the bar I think has been lowered for what what constitutes a penalty now. 
like you said, 41 in 80 Premier League games is a little bit... <laughs> maybe we're going to have to raise the bar for, for what is a penalty and maybe we're going to have to introduce a 12-yard box. Well, <laughs> here we go. The day of reckoning has finally come. I mean, well, actually, I saw another novel suggestion on Twitter over the weekend uh, would be to move the penalty spot back to 15 yards to make it a bit harder for the taker. What do you think of that one, Joel, as an idea? I mean... Maybe. Maybe they should do the MLS thing where they just put the penalty back into the halfway line and just have a one-on-one with the striker and the goalkeeper and just see what happens. <laughs> Let's throw anything out there now, yeah? Yeah, I'd be well up for that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've said on the podcast before as well that I think it's unacceptable for a professional footballer to miss the target from a penalty. So imagine my horror when I had to cancel Kevin De Bruyne yesterday. <laughs> That's it. Apparently the first time a Premier League player has missed the target with a penalty since Riyad Mahrez blazed his over the bar for City against Liverpool in October 2018 that's mad isn't it something about this game as well isn't it Adamola uh, Luckman hit the target. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll come on to that in a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, uh, everyone on the pitch looks exhausted after about seventy minutes of this game. I mean, I mean, that's obviously a knock-on effect of the lack of pre-season. But are you starting to, to share my worry, Joel, that uh, the whole season could end up being like this? I, I just don't understand when they're going to get any rest. It's a massive concern, and I think uh, it, it's an issue that the Premier League and, and whoever's been involved in decision makers this year to, to not introduced that five-substitute rule. Um, I know Guardiola and Klopp spoke well after the match. I think it's looking a bit more ridiculous by the day now because pretty much everywhere else has introduced that rule. Um, I can understand it's sort of the the issue of not wanting that long-term, and I agree with that. Um, but this season's just not, you know, it's not like a normal season, obviously, with the, you know, the situation we find ourselves in with the pandemic, condensed schedule. I think we should just allowed that, that rule for this season I think that would have helped a bit but obviously that, that's not the, the main source of the problem the, the main source of the problem is the fact that you know we're getting these injuries now pretty much every team is having you know a lot of injuries and, and muscle injuries and soft tissue mm-hmm. injuries as well which which comes from just playing too much football and we're only eight games in I mean after this international break we're going into what's, what's normally the busiest part of the season anyway busiest scare part of the calendar and, and this year especially, it's, it's pretty much, even for the teams not in Europe, they're playing two, three games a week after this until the end of January. And it's it's just ridiculous. We've got international football, but obviously the football associations have got to make their money. And, it's, and you know, I guess that's why it's got to go ahead. But having three games over the next week is ridiculous. Um, it's asking far too much of these players. And 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 something's got to give some points. And I, I'm worried now what that is going to be I mean I can't believe they tried to get a normal footballing calendar into this year anyway and we are seeing the negative aspects of that now um, players are just going to keep on getting injured It's every weekend there's some there's big injury for some team Liverpool have obviously had a lot of them now and, and, and obviously now you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold could be another victim to that but it's going to happen to every team and I, I don't know what the answer is I don't know what they can do now about it but it's just looking more absurd by the day that we're trying to have a normal footballing season, yeah. footballing calendar in this year. In England, we've got the only league where they took away the five soft as well. Yeah, um, which I'm like, I'm not a fan of it, generally speaking. But to take it away for this season is just mad. Yeah, and Guardiola said he was he was speaking to Klopp at the end about how they should be allowed to make five subs instead of three. But then yesterday he only made two subs anyway. So you got to think, what's the point of that? What's the latest on Trent Alexander Arnold's injury? 
Joel? And uh, and if he is out for a long time, how big of a loss do you think he's going to be for Liverpool? He's expected to have a scan, and um, I think that'll be today. And then we'll, we'll find something out about that either later on this evening or probably tomorrow morning. It, it, it just went down straight away. It was kind of innocuous as well, wasn't it? It wasn't really an impact injury. Um, I know there was a bit of a collision, but I don't think it was anything to, to cause an injury. But it just looked like... You know, I think it's his calf. It's some stunt to his calf, and I think it might just. Hopefully, it's just a bit of a strain, and he's not, he's not torn it. But yeah, it doesn't look great. If I think he's not had the best start of the season, um, Alexander Arnold, but he's vital to what Liverpool do going forward. Um, and then they haven't really got a, a like for like replacements at right back. And um, if Andy Robertson got injured, you know, we've got Costas to to Mikas, who. You know, hasn't played a game for Liverpool yet, mm. but it's, it's someone that he can provide sort of the same kind of thing in terms of getting to the byline and crosses in. But with, with Alexander Arnold, you're looking at well, probably James Milner going right back. He just he's got an ambition to play every single position on the football pitch before he retires. <laughs> so you know, when next time Alisson gets injured, you know, let's put Milner in the goal, so bad jam. Uh, but yeah, he can't do any worse, can he? So yeah. <laughs> I don't think he can, mate. No. <laughs> Uh, well, the biggest shock of the weekend took place at the Emirates on Sunday night as Arsenal were beaten 3-0 by Aston Villa. Lewis, I gather you weren't impressed with Arsenal's performance in this one, in particular the way they set up tactically. Was that frustration unique to this match or is that a bigger? Is there a bigger problem than that? Yeah, I don't know There's, I mean, if it's a tactical issue, if it's a talent issue, if it's a problem of of maybe not so much tactics in terms of like where players are positionally, but maybe the the approach generally to the game. Uh, and it has been a problem for a while. I mean, um, what just Arsenal have played at home this season now and narrowly beat West Ham with a last-minute goal, probably against the runner play. Sheffield United a few weeks ago and, and won 2-1 again with their only two shots of the entire second half. Um, if you don't take many shots, you're not going to score very many goals. And it's unthinkable it would have been unthinkable a few years ago to think that Arsenal had played eight games in a season and only have nine goals from those games it's three uh, four games in a row now without a, a goal that didn't come from the penalty spot uh, which was Aubameyang's strike at Old Trafford last weekend and you'd be hard pressed to say that Arsenal have been wasteful like that they deserve many more than those one goal in four games and it's it's been coming. Um, yeah, it's. I think Arteta, we talked about a lot, lot at the end of last season that he came in and sort of wanted to fix the defence and make Arsenal harder to beat. And to a pretty decent extent, he's done that. But at some point, that balance is going to have to be readdressed because the team's just not creating anything. They're not going to score many goals if they keep playing like this. And it's going to be another season sort of mired in mid-table, I'm afraid. Mm. How do you think they fix that? Is it a case of maybe dropping Lacazette and putting Aubameyang in the central striker role? I think that'd help. I think that'd help. I think at the moment, it, it all looks very choreographed and sort of, I mean, Aubameyang obviously scored plenty of goals from the left last season, but it's not a surprise to anyone anymore. And you've seen those Arsenal scored that same goal essentially against Fulham, against Man City at the end of last season, against yeah. Liverpool as well. If teams know it's going to come, then they can obviously work against it and, and sort of plan not to do it. It's, um, yeah, it's tough. The Arsenal are in a, a bit of a straitjacket under Arteta at the moment, and I would I do wonder if he's sort of we've seen it obviously with 
with City and he's obviously worked with Guardiola for for a few seasons. They want those patterns of play and I wonder if he's trying to install those patterns of play without many training sessions during this ridiculously condensed season. Um, and then maybe once that sort of second nature to those players, he'll take that straight jacket off a little bit and and that those teachings will still be a bit more ingrained, mm. but it's just not working. Um, if if that's the idea of a, a shortcut, well, it's it's just a, a detour in the completely wrong direction, <laughs> rather than, rather than being a shortcut to getting the desired result at the moment. And it might work long term, but if we're looking too long term, then you're looking at Arsenal probably throwing this entire season away, any chance of qualifying, certainly for the Champions League and possibly the Europa League for next season, mm. just sort of throwing that away while they're figuring this out. So I'm not someone who wants to find a short-term fix, but there's got to be some sort of short-term improvement at the very least quite mm. quickly now. Well, Arteta said afterwards that that's the first time since he's been in charge that he didn't see his team out there. Do you think that's right? I think I think it's the first time that they've given up. I, th- I think the last 20, 30 minutes, um, oh, well, I think they were, Arsenal were the better side for a little while while it was 1-0 uh, early in the second half. And as soon as Villa scored the second goal, it was just, nah, they've given up. Um, I thought he was a bit unfair and it was the first half as well. The first half was pretty much the Arsenal team we've seen for a lot of first halves this season. Mm. Just that Aston Villa were better than most of the opponents Arsenal or a lot of the opponents Arsenal have had so far. Um, yeah, I, I I think he was a little bit harsh and I think that was his Arsenal. It was just his Arsenal on a very bad day. I noticed it was uh, Willian who gave the ball away pretty carelessly in the build-up to the first goal. I still have no idea what to make of Willian. Have you decided yet? Uh, <laughs> I, I think I've got an idea. Um, <laughs> Uh, it struck me again last night that Arsenal have handed him, and he's 32 now, and Arsenal have given him a three year contract. Mm. So, logic dictates that every single time Willian steps on the pitch in an Arsenal shirt, he will be less talented than the last time, <laughs> which bodes horrendously <laughs> uh, if, if he's going to get worse and worse, which over a three year contract in his 30s, he is just going to get worse at this point. Yeah. Um, you wonder what the hell Pepe's doing in training that Willian's still playing every game at the moment. Mm. I remember thinking he looked great against Fulham, William, but I think that probably says more about Fulham than him, doesn't it, at this point? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we talked last week about Aston Villa's results before this game, suggesting they've regressed to the mean, and then they go out and pull a result like this one out of the bag. I mean, they've, they've put seven past Liverpool this season, they've put three past Arsenal now. Joel, do you have any idea what level Villa are actually at? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I could not say it. Maybe it is too early to say, but we are getting to the stage where we're getting for a third way through the season, uh, or we will be in a few weeks. So at the moment, it's looking very good for them. Um, I have no idea what they are. They're absolutely bonkers. <laughs> they, they must be great to support because you know there's going to be goals in every game. Um, you know, even the last <laughs> last three games alone, you know, there's been you know seven goals, three goals, three goals. I think they smoke this season so far as, as a whole, in, in the fact that they can produce a mad result like the seven two over Liverpool, and then you know two weeks later, you know they, they get beat three 0 by Leeds themselves at home, and, and you don't see that coming. And then they go and do what they do yesterday. They're just exciting. They've got a, exciting players, um, especially in midfield and attack. And I, you know what? I, I don't think Villa fans should be thinking about it, or you know, just just go and enjoy what's ahead of them because they had a tough season last year, and then and now they, they've got 
some absolute mercurial players who, who are magicians on the pitch. And you know, well, let's just enjoy and see what happens. Yeah, maybe maybe they can win the league. Maybe why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> I mean, I thought Jack Grealish and, and Ross Barkley were excellent here. Uh, Trezeguet took his goal well. Ollie Watkins took his two goals very well. He's a proper Premier League striker, isn't he, Lewis? Yeah, he is, and he fits in perfectly as well. With you mentioned Grealish and Bart, especially there, I thought they were great. And Grealish is playing like you. You got to start talking about like, is this guy the best player in the whole league at this <laughs> way that he's playing? It's ridiculous. He'd walk into any other team. Yeah, he'd walk into any team in the league. It's incredible. Um, and he's and he's that good while also being the most fun player to watch in the entire league, which is just incredible. It's amazing. Um, but Barkley looks like a different player. And Ollie Watkins is, like you say, movement. He's just so sharp. Uh, he's obviously got a, a nose for goal for getting in the right areas. And they all just look hungry. They look like, I think it's such a dangerous mixture for anyone they come up against, those mm. three especially. They look hungry and they look like they're enjoying themselves. And I don't know how easy it is to stop any sort of attack that both ingredients. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, Manchester United pulled a much-needed result out of the bag when they won 3-1 away at Everton on Saturday. Has Ole Gunnar Solskjaer silenced his critics again, Joel? Well, they might stay up now, um, so he's <laughs> back. But um, I, know, I think we're going to have this discussion plenty of times over, over the next, you know... The whole time he's at the club, basically, the we're going to have this, aren't we? Because yeah. they, they have this, don't they, where they, they'll have a couple of you know, really bad results and it looks like you know the next result will be the one that gets them sacked and then they usually put out the bag when that's the case, um, which maybe has to credit to him, but I, I, no, I, I don't think he sounds as critics. Um, I, there is a problem there with, with him. Uh, I think he's going to be the issue that holds Manchester United back eventually. Um Okay, there, there are more standard issues at the club um, above, especially in you know Edward Woods and the recruitment team and whoever you know. Well, the strategy should say maybe not the team, um, and I think that's more of an issue than, than the coach. But he is an issue, and until they you know he is not there, until they get rid of him, they will, they will never. I don't think they'll ever put a title challenge in. I don't think they're going to get anywhere close to the league. You can argue that last season he did his job because he got them to the Champions League and qualified, but. Okay, 66 points, whatever. Mm. Um, and he did get to an FA Cup semi-final, so he, he did do well. But the, the, the thing is, I just don't think he's got enough about him to, to get Manchester United to where they want to be and, and where they should be. And the, the sooner they get rid of him, the better. But, you know, for my case, hopefully that doesn't come anytime soon. <laughs> um, but no, he's, he's done the job for now, But and, and he'll be safe for a few more weeks. But no, the, the end game of this should be so should should be gone for Manchester United. But yeah. let's hope not. Do you think it's possible, Lewis, that they might have already contacted Pochettino about taking over at an unspecified later date? It just seems like a weird way to operate, if so. I think they'd be stupid if they've not sounded him out already. Um, cause... But how do you sound someone out like that? What, what, what have they said to him? Like, we're going to sack Solskjaer one day. Would you just wait <laughs> wait until then? It could be next week. It could be two years from now. We don't really know, but... So yeah, sorry, Maurizio. He's won at Everton. Yeah, um, so that's another <laughs> month. Um, yeah, like you've got to, you've got to test the waters, right? You've got to make sure that like, it would be ridiculous to sack Solskjaer and then Pochettino turns around and goes, "Actually, lads, I'm not interested. I've got an agreement. I've got an agreement with PSG." Um, so like, I'm sure they've who are who are similarly telling him, "Oh, we'll we'll sack Tuchel one day." Mm. Um, you've got to like have one or two irons in the fire, so to speak. Mm. 
uh, before you, Saka manager, I guess. It's just, it, it is a bit weird. I'm not sure if anyone outside the, the circle of Manchester United, in terms of the club, the people that work there, but also the fans, I'm not sure um, anybody would pick Solskjaer over Pochettino. So just sort of sack one and hire the other one, don't you? you think that would be the obvious thing to do, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joel, what did you make of Solskjaer's complaints that United were sent out to fail having played in the Champions League in Turkey on Wednesday night and then they were made to play again on Saturday lunchtime? Do you think that's a, a fair complaint from him? Yeah, this is where I stand with him, to be honest. So, you know, I agree with him on that. Um, it's not something that's just, you know, specific to Manchester United. All the teams involved in the Champions League or, you know, maybe even Europa League have this issue, you know, of... The, the fixtures being congested together and, and, and you know the Premier League maybe should do better because because for one it works well in their interest for the the teams involved in Europe the English teams to do well in Europe and mm. maybe they should be doing a bit more to sort of help them um, I, I don't necessarily think okay that you know they should be able to play on a Monday night after playing on a Wednesday night and that gives them five days break because then that gives them more advantage over you know, if they're playing Crystal Palace or Aston Villa, who aren't involved in Europe, that gives Manchester United maybe a bit more advantage. But um, I, I maybe I don't see why any reason why they couldn't have played Saturday at three pm or Saturday in the evening or mm-hmm. you know Saturday eight o'clock because that, that just gives a bit more time to, to get over the, the excursion to travel to Europe and it's it's but it's been an issue for seasons. It's been an issue for a long time. It's not mm. just this year. I, I do agree with him, but it also did scream a bit from Solskjaer of trying to sort it's a politician's trick of trying to make you look left when the issue's on the left. <laughs> Controlling yeah. the narrative, I believe they call it. The yeah, yeah. Uh, straight out of Ferguson textbook. <laughs> I mean, I, I read that they uh, they flew back from Turkey and got back to Manchester at four o'clock on Thursday morning. I mean, you kind of think, well, why not just stay over in Turkey, get a proper night's sleep and then fly back during the day on the Thursday? Surely that's going to be a bit more restful for you. But yeah, like you say, it has been a problem for a while, hasn't it? We've criticised Harry Maguire a lot this season, but he had a really good game against Everton, didn't he, Lewis? Yeah, he did all right. He's, I think like much about Harry Maguire is, firstly, obviously, the beginning of the season, he's played poorly. Um, I think we can probably guess that whatever happened in the summer over in, in Greece was on his mind and that was a difficult situation, obviously. I think since then, he started to slowly recapture some form. Um, but I think so much of the discourse on the whole around Harry Maguire is not so much about Harry Maguire. For a few years, has been a perfectly fine Premier League centre-back, uh, even going back to when he was at Hull. It's just the fact that he costs so much money. Mm. If if Harry Maguire had signed for £30 million for Man United, then I don't think we'd ever really talk about him. The fact that he signed for was it £80 million, he's been made Man United captain, like you, you have to get like a Van Dyke level performance to get like the right return on what you've spent there and it's not really his fault uh, that he costs that much Leicester demanded it United decided to pay it and yeah it, I think he'll just continue being a, a good Premier League back who sometimes makes mistakes and isn't in the top five centre-backs in the league. And that's just sort of maybe what we should expect from him. Mm. Uh, Joel, if you told Everton fans before the start of the season that they'd have won four matches, drawn one, lost two from their first seven games, do you think they would have taken that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, mean, I think I get a sense, because I do follow a lot of Everton fans on Twitter, um, 
because it's funny most of the time. But <laughs> I, I do get a sense in that they're a bit disappointed with you know the last couple of weeks. Mm. That's because they start the season very well, and you know, you know, they win the first four challenges, but you know, far too soon to talk about that. And, and so maybe they are a bit disappointed. The thing is, they're the three points off, you know, the Champions League spots. Um, the level of this season is they probably can, you know, got a fair shell to get into that top six and, and qualifying for Europe at some points. Um, so I, I don't think they can be too disappointed. I think they, they would have bitten your, your hands off if you offered them that at the start of the season. So it's, it's certainly not a bad thing. It's just obviously, you know, on the back of a couple of defeats on the bounce and, you know, they've got to arrest that slide before it becomes a bit bigger thing. But no, I don't think it's a problem. I think, I think they've, they've started the season very well, and I think they're maybe a bit unlucky on on Saturday. To be honest, I think they deserve maybe a bit of a draw out the game, not necessarily winning it. But no, everything's all right for Everton at the moment. To be honest, mm. let's, just, let's just see what comes out of the international break. If it has become a, become a bit of an issue and, and they've fallen off a cliff, but let's you, see. You're not worried about them challenging Liverpool for the title anymore, though, no. Absolutely not, no. I sleep <laughs> sleep, I'm sleeping better. <laughs> um, it's been a while since we've done James Rodriguez watch on the podcast. How do you think he did in this game, Lewis? Up the toffees. Uh, it was an off day, mm. um, putting it mildly. I think he, he's one of those players, James, there's these sort of these creative number 10, those types of players. And it feels like so often they have a day where everything just sort of comes naturally and it all they everything works, everything they try. And then there are some days where it feels like they're forcing it and it, it's not quite working out. Without Richarlison, Everton are just so much easier to manage. You can really focus on on Dominic Calvert-Lewin a bit more, on, on Hammers a little bit more and not worry too much about who the third player... Obviously, Bernard actually scored in this game, but you don't have to worry so much about the third player in that front line. Um I think that attack's going to be really dangerous when all three of them are fit. But with it, and it's not just Richarlison. I think if any of the the three are missing, it makes them so much easier to play. Against. And I think that's basically just what the case was here, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Richarlison. Do you think he's their most important player, considering that he's you know the only sort of big name they have missing from this game? I think he's the one that sort of you can plug in and he can do whatever you need him to do. Mm. Like Hamez is a is a creative player. Uh, Calvert-Lewin is a, a bit of a poacher and can obviously hold the ball up well. Richardson does both of those um, and he does both of them and combines it with an amazing work rate. I think he's the one that just sort of can deliver whatever Everton need him for most on mm. any given day if it's a bit more goal threat, a bit more creativity, whereas the other two are a bit more one-dimensional. It's the fifth home game in a row. They've conceded two or more goals now at Everton. They've also shipped nine goals in the last four games. What do you think they need more, Joel? A new goalkeeper or a new centre-back? I think the goalkeeper's not the biggest issue and mm. that's going to hold Everton back. Um, I, th- I think with centre-half, um, you know, he, he, he sort of, Ancelotti is sort of giving the lads who've, who've started the season well their time and, and, and he'll probably keep on selecting for a while longer, but they have signed Ben Godfrey from Norwich, and I think mm. eventually he will sort in there. I do think he's got a bit of potential, but the, the thing is, Norwich conceded a lot last season, and <laughs> is it down to him or the team? Is yet to see in the ground a bit too much? But you know, obviously they've seen something in to spend the money they have on, on Godfrey, so we'll see how he slots in. But Pickford's just, he's just, we speak about him a lot, and he is yeah. an, an issue. And, and sadly, I don't think that's going away until they buy a new goalkeeper. I just, 
I just don't think he's at the standard that Everson should have. I don't think he's at the standard of a Premier League goalkeeper. And I feel, I do feel sorry for him now because that's the England football. number one you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what does Gareth Southgate say? That's a whole new podcast. Though, isn't it? <laughs> Sheffield United took a surprise lead against Chelsea on Saturday evening, only for the Blue Waves to come roaring back to win four-one. Uh, that was the first goal Edouard Mendy has conceded had conceded in 375 minutes of football. Do you think Chelsea have solved their goalkeeping issue with him, Joel? I mean, it's, it's starting very well for him, isn't it? Mm. Um, we can only look at what he's done since coming in. That he, you know, he, he's played very well. He, he does look a bit more commandable. Um, he looks like he can come and claim a cross and, and, and make you know saves. I don't think he's made a, any fantastic saves that he's talking about and for, for forever. Like he, he's mm. just he's made the basic saves and simple saves, but they were the saves that Kepa wasn't making in the team. Um, they, they've improved at the back, and, and you know. Thiago Silva coming in as, as well has done that. And, you know, he's played a few more games and, and settled in quite well. I, I will have to see that. I think still early days to, to say that Chelsea have improved massively at the back. And I'm looking at teams that they played recently you know, in the Premier League, Burnley and, and Manchester United, teams who've got no interest in, in, in you know, in, in being good at football, let's say. So, uh, oh, um, that's uh, a dig, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, the other end, Sheffield United bought Aaron Ramsdale from Bournemouth this summer to replace Dean Henderson as their goalkeeper. I mean, he wasn't cheap. They spent £80 million on him. Have you been convinced by him so far, Lewis? No, I, I wasn't convinced by him at Bournemouth. And mm. I think if he hadn't grown up in Sheffield, <laughs> Sheffield United wouldn't have seen any reason <laughs> to target him, to be honest. Um, it, w- it was a bit of a weird one for, for that amount of money and it's not really worked out. If, do you reckon that's the only reason they signed him because he's from Sheffield? I'm not saying it's the only reason, <laughs> but I think if he wasn't from Sheffield, they wouldn't have signed him. I'm yeah. sure they've also signed him because he's a goalkeeper, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I just don't think he's very good. I mean, <laughs> how can you say that nicely? <laughs> well, it'll be interesting when they sign Sean Bean and Jarvis Cocker in January anyway, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> uh, Thiago Silva got on the score sheet in this game. Have you been surprised at all, Joel, by how quickly he's, he's slotted in, given his age and his lack of English? I am actually, yeah. I, I, I'm, well, he is obviously an experienced centre-half. He's, he's played at the top level for you know, pretty much his whole career, let's say. And so obviously, he's talented. And obviously, I think he can, he can run a defence... Um, himself, but I, you know, I did think coming up to the Premier League at his age that he, he would get found out at some point, and, and maybe he will over the season. But but so far he's he's been he's been great. He's just been doing exactly what you want from a centre half. Um, you know, he's marshaled that defence, and maybe he's had a bigger impact on the defence than, than Mendy has. But you know, so far so good for him, and he gets himself on the score sheet. He is someone who will slot in with a couple of goals over the season as well. So I think Chelsea fans can be very happy. But let's let's see what happens to him when he's playing against the likes of a City, Liverpool, or mm. and maybe even the best team in the league, Southampton. You know, um, <laughs> when it, when he's got runners off him all the time, um, we'll 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 see about that. But no, yeah. so far so good for him. Yeah, and so far so good for Timo Werner as well, Lewis. That's eight goals of him this season. Now that reasonably slow start he made to his Chelsea career is a distant memory now, isn't it? Yeah, people panic so quickly, don't they? Strikers <laughs> and big name signings, and you think like the season didn't start till September. We're only just in November, and he's got eight goals in all competitions, so it's not badly. No. Um, yeah, and I, I think to be honest, there's still more to come from Timo Werner as well. He's spent a lot of time playing on the left wing at the moment, which isn't probably his strongest position, I would say. So 
I think people can stop worrying about Timo Werner and whether or not he's going to be able to play in the great league that is the Premier League. And if the jump is way too big for him, he's fine. Joel, can Chelsea challenge for the title this season? And if not, why not? <laughs> I, I I said it from a couple of weeks ago and I still stand by that. The only thing that's maybe changed in my mind is, is the fact that they've just got so many good players. And at some point that just that would just win them more games than not. So they could well be in, in the question uh, at the end of the season. Um, the, the thing is with that is ZX coming recently and and just looks like he's slotted in perfectly. He had a fantastic game on Saturday for them. And, and it's it's one of them that, you know, I, I, I still don't, the question should be out on Frank Lampard and I'm not sure he's going to be the coach to get them where they need to be. But, when you've got the likes of Vernon and Kaya Verts and and Pulisic when he comes back and, and Ziyech, that just it's just going to win you more games than not, and it's, mm. that's just incredible the fact that they've got those players, and it's that I, that's going to get them somewhere, and I just don't think they've got enough on to be title challengers, but it's it's a tricky one because of the way the league started and the fact that no one's really taking the claim to being you know, going to run away with the league. I, I guess I should, should shut up and say why not? Because they could, they could be because Werner. If they do eventually put Werner up front, which is where he should be at the moment, I think he's playing there because Pudo Six, you know, injured, and that's where he's going to play on the mm. left. Werner's one of them who could score thirty or thirty goals in your team. You, I guess you can do anything. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see in a few more weeks. But right now, no. But mm, let's see. <laughs> We'll see, we'll see. Well, Sheffield United have got West Ham and West Brom coming up after the international break. If they still have won after those two games, do you think Chris Wilder might genuinely have to start worrying about his job, Lewis? I think it depends a little bit on what Sheffield United, like long-term, what they think. Do they think that if they go down, Chris Wilder's the best man to get them back up again, having already done it once? Um, but I think, uh, you called it in the summer, Dan, that Sheffield United be in trouble mm. this season. And... I don't think any of us <laughs> maybe agreed with you at the time, but it's looking really, really dire now. They're, they're lucky that West Brom and Burnley and Fulham all look hopeless as well, and that hopefully those three could could be worse. And it only takes one run of sort of you, you put two wins together and you could be out of there. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think maybe he'd like to leave at some point, um, but. It's just really, it looks really, really bleak, doesn't it? And yeah. like you say, if they don't get points off West Ham and West Brom, then you start to wonder where any points are going to come from in the end. Yeah, I mean, you you always think as a Premier League club, you know, Sheffield United don't have the greatest squad in the world. So if they were to go down, they might struggle to get back up again. You do think, is it worth them trying to get someone else in who can sort of re-energise the squad a bit and keep them up and just make sure they stay in the Premier League? It'd be a real shame if they did get rid of Chris Wilder because obviously he's a boyhood Sheffield United fan. It was a really nice story what he did there. But yeah, even Sam, I... Sam Allardyce is out there waiting. Exactly. Stronger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like you said, I, I did tip Sheffield United to struggle this season, but I, even I didn't believe that they would do this poorly after eight, seven, eight games of the season. But uh, yeah, still early days yet for everyone, I guess, really, isn't it? Tottenham are second in the table after they nicked a late winner at West Brom on Sunday. I knew Spurs were going to score a late winner in this game. Did you see it coming as well, Joel? I didn't. I, I thought oh. it was going to play out to a 0-0 because of the fact that it just feel very Tottenham for them to have the, you know, the good results that they've been getting and then to go and draw at West Brom. Um, just felt like this just happens every year. Um, but no, a fair play to them and, and, and 
you can't argue that he deserved to win. You can't argue that he didn't. But um, mm-hmm. I, I know you sort of want to go on to talk about Spurs being potential title challengers and whether they had more of a say than, than Chelsea. And I think it's possibly a bit too early to sort of just say that because I, 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 want, I was one of them before the start of the season, Spurs would maybe finish outside the top four, maybe even the top six. I, I, I didn't expect them to do start this well. And... They deserve credit, and Mourinho deserves credit for what he's set up because he's getting the best out of Harry King's son. And I, I don't, those two can find them to where they want to be. I, I, I kind of feel like Spurs have more of a shout at Chelsea to possibly challenge for the title, uh, which is bizarre to say when I didn't think they finished inside the top six mm-hmm. <laughs> start of the season. But the thing is, they've just got a bit more of a balance about them. The whole team looks like it, it fits there perfectly, and and we'll start an 11, let's say. When they get a few more injuries, we'll, you know, we'll see. Mourinho's not too confident in his, in his squad depth. He, in, 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 he looks like he's got it, but maybe not. Um, but they've just got a bit more of a balance about them. Everyone's in their position, and, and it just seems to set up perfectly to work the best for, for Harry Kane and Son. And I, I think I think they could cause a bit of an issue. Um, I'm a, I, as a Liverpool fan, the one team outside of Man City that I'm worried about the most is, is Tottenham. And it just feels like it's all set up for Mourinho to have the last laugh. <laughs> uh, everything's been built towards working towards Mourinho having the last laugh. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes, but I suppose in comparison with Chelsea, you do look at the two managers and think, for all Mourinho's faults, he does have experience of winning stuff and you know winning titles and, and that kind of thing. When Lampard has none of that, does he really? So that could be the difference between the two. No, I know. I'm just playing the Arsenal fan. But- <laughs> I think they've got six of last season's top eight in their next seven games. Mm. Uh, they've done really well to win these games that they've won. Um, it's not easy. Like, it's not easy. We see it every week to beat anybody in the Premier League nowadays. Um, but we'll know, like at the end of this run, sort of like a month, six weeks from now. I think then we'll know if they're if they're going to be. There or thereabouts, um, but like, like Joel said as well. To be fair, I didn't think they'd be in the top four this season, and now I'm pretty sure they'll finish in the top four. And if Son mm. and Kane stay fit, then you do sort of fancy their chances to beat anyone. Mm. Yeah, Tottenham's next three league games are City at home, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, and then they've got Crystal Palace away and Liverpool away. So, and Leicester, Leicester at home after that. So yeah, it's going to be a interesting run for them we should learn a lot more about them uh, that's 150 Premier League goals in 218 matches for Harry Kane do you think we're looking at a future all-time great Lewis especially when you say 218 matches that's ridiculous yeah. I, think. I think it was uh, Alan Shearer and Sergio Aguero I saw yesterday the only two to reach 150 Premier League goals quicker that's right yeah. um, I think Harry Kane was to my mind, quite poor the last two seasons, mm. fairly poor. And he'd had a couple of injuries and he ru- had this habit of rushing back after injuries. And he, I, he looks completely refreshed, renewed. Um, people give some credit to Mourinho. Uh, or I Personally, I think the lockdown just did him the world of good. He's, he's a player that just is absolutely desperate to be on a football pitch and instead of maybe waiting six weeks to return when he's had injuries before, he's sort of rushed back after four and then not quite looked himself and then had another niggling injury a month later because he never properly recovered. And I think that he was already out at Christmas with a hamstring injury. So by the time football returned in June, was it? Mm. He'd had six months without kicking a ball. And I think that that has 
completely transformed the, the trajectory of Kane's career again. I think maybe without the the whole coronavirus situation forcing him to take his time to recover, I'm not sure what would have happened. I don't think we'd be seeing this Harry Kane, um, but forced to finally completely recover from injury and have a break, he looks as good as he's ever looked. Yeah. Slavin Bilic looked gutted when that late goal went in. Do you think West Brom can take heart from how well they battled here or, or is that late goal a sign that they're doomed, Lewis? I thought that that was... They obviously had that first half against Chelsea when they went 3-0 up. Um, but I thought that um, the first half again against Spurs is the best I've seen West Brom play all, the, all season so mm. far. Um, even the second half when Spurs were on top, they didn't create many chances. There was obviously... Uh, Lachelso had one that he put wide, but West Brom had one at the other end. Lloris pulled off a really good save. So I think that was, I think he'll take, he'll be gutted. He'll be absolutely gutted that they've lost it so late. Um, and what was in terms of the goalkeeper, uh, Sam Johnston, it looked like a pretty soft goal to as well. But they'll take a lot of heart out of that once they've had 24 hours to sort of get over the result a little bit. Well, Leicester are top of the table going into the international break after a 1-0 win over Wolves on Sunday. Leicester have had eight penalties in eight games this season. They got two in this one. Any complaints about that first one for the handball from Max Kilman, Joel? No, no. I, it, it just looked straight away a, a clear penalty to me, to be honest. Um, obviously, we, we are where we are with the handball rule, but I think this one was was, was clear, as clear as day. I think it could be to make complaints at all, um, his, his hands, his arms, not in a natural position. Let's say I'm not mm. sure what he can really be um, in a natural position, but it didn't look like anything to me. And the second one as well was was as clear as day. Yeah. You just can't, just can't be kicking lads in the penalty box, can you? <laughs> you can't, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a Stonewall pen, that second one. Um, but of course, Jamie Vardy missed a penalty or he had it saved uh, by Rui Patrizio, rather. Lewis, if you had to put your life on anyone in the Premier League scoring a penalty, would Vardy be your choice? <laughs> not after, not after that one, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not him, then who? <laughs> it was a good save, to be fair. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good question. I don't I don't think I trust any of them. <laughs> Joel, any any candidates for you? I was going to say Jorginho, but now he's missing penalties. Like yeah. You know what? Um, James Milner. James if, Milner, if yeah, life, actually. If yeah. my wife yeah. was on the line, I'm asking James Milner to step up. Yeah, he's never missed one, I don't think, has he? I don't think he has. Actually, no. not, not for Liverpool, anyway. Um, no, yeah, I, you know what, I'll go Milner as well. That's yeah. a fair show. It's cool to stay, isn't he? <laughs> there you go. Wolves are ninth with four wins, one draw and three defeats so far. Do you think that's good enough, Joel? Do you think they should be a little bit disappointed with that return? Possibly, but at the same time, the, the win away from possibly in the top four and uh, mm. definitely the top six. So I don't think they can never, they can be too disappointed. I think what should be a bit more concerned about is they've only scored eight goals in eight games. And with a team that's got Ruben Neves, Real Martino, Traore, Jimenez, they should be doing better than that. But again, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's just the way that Nunes, Bios, and Santa want to set them up. They're, they're meant to be solid. They're meant to possibly try and win games one or two nil, if not two one. That, that's the way that's, that's worked for them for the past two seasons. Um, but I, I think there's a comes a point where they've sort of got to try and progress to the next level and they should be a bit more, they should be better to watch than, than what they are with those players and, and the quality players they've got on their team. But um, that's a bit of an issue because it, it does feel like now, especially with, with, with Diego Jota going, um, I, I do think Pedro Neto and Daniel Pedence could be good players. I think they've shown glimpses of quality, but if Raul Jimenez isn't going to score, 
you wonder who is for Wolves. Mm. And obviously, when, when you've got that situation, you know, it, it doesn't take too much for the opposition team to work out how to stop your main man, stop Jimenez, and, and, and then where that leaves you where you're at. So th- there is a few things to be concerned about with Wolves, and I think, I think goal scoring is one of them, but we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back. I, I'm, I'm a bit worried for him, to be honest. Yeah, I do wonder if it were... were uh getting close to a conversation about Nuno Espirito Santo. He's done a great job there, but I think he might have sort of taken them as far as he can. And I think if they do want to go to a next level, they might have to think about getting a better better manager in at some point. Uh, but we'll see about that, as you say. I won't even ask the Brendan Rodgers fraud question this week because I think it's clear he's a genius by now, isn't it, Lewis? Never in doubt. Never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> we had another rather large shock at Selhurst Park on Saturday as Crystal Palace beat Leeds 4-1. Was it a shock actually, Joel? I mean, that's that's two 4-1 defeats in a row for Leeds now. Does it suggest a big rethink is required from Marcelo Bielsa? I, I'm not sure, no. I, I just think this is what you're going to get with Leeds and I think their supporters are ready for this as well. They, they play, their football's on such a knife edge that they could literally win 4-1 every week or get beat 4-1 the mm. next week. And I think that that's just what they're all in tune in for. That's what they signed up for and, and they're ready for it. And, and I guess some, some the, the footballs, I, I think it's brilliant to watch. But if, if teams can find a way around it and can break the press and, and then you are left in a situation like, I think it's Jordan Ayew's goal where you, you sort of got the, I think it's Sahar plays it and you've got two defenders on Sahar and then Ayew's just got, you know the freedom of sell his part yeah. to, to run in, to walk into the box and slot in, and and that 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 can happen, I guess. But I, I, and I don't think it's anything to concerned about with Bielsa. Leeds will be absolutely fine this season, and, and to be honest, could finish top half. It's just you are going to have a few more of these days. Mm. It's a bit of a travesty that Patrick Bamford's brilliant goal was disallowed for the top of his outstretched arm being offside. Lewis, are you at the point where you can laugh at this nonsense yet? <laughs> Let's not use the word point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, like you're not even allowed to (laughs) point to where you want the ball to be played in behind the defence come on Um, just measure just measure it by the feet just measure offsides by your feet there you go it's so simple isn't it yeah I I, I, I mean it's not I'm sure there'd be a million things wrong (laughs) with it if we tried to do that and then everyone would hate me Um, but that's I mean I don't I don't see I don't think people would argue. People moan about like, oh, the big toe offside or whatever. Mm. Like, yeah, okay. Like, there's always going to be close offsides because you've got to draw a line somewhere. There has to be a line. But just do it with your feet. You can't like, ah, oh, I just don't get it. I just yeah. do not get it. The, the mad thing is obviously like they've done it because this whole like shirt sleeve thing where mm. if the ball hit that sort of part of your arm, it's, it's not a penalty. Um, but at the same time, if, Patrick Bamford had gone through and scored with that part of his arm, it would have been disallowed. So yeah. Why not just do away with offsides completely? How about that for an idea? That would simplify the issue, wouldn't it? No more offsides, just <laughs> wow. people can just go wherever they want. Yeah. 12 yard box and no offsides. Yeah. Dan, you're advocating for five-a-side football. <laughs> <laughs> this, my vision of the future is is a wonderful one, isn't it? I, <laughs> you'll all fall in line soon enough, don't worry. <laughs> uh, what a free kick that was from Eberichi Eze for his first Palace goal. Have you been impressed by what you've seen from him so far this season, Joel? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely expected it because, of course, he's, he, he's someone who showed a lot of potential at QPR. Um, he, he's got it. He's, he's got, he, now he's starting games for him as well. So I think they're just trying to sort of bleed him in at the start of the season. But he came on on the first day against Southampton and, and didn't really need to do much because they were holding on to a lead. And But he, he just lit it up the pitch and he, he just taking on players at ease. And, and he can do it 
on the outside and the inside. And he's he's dangerous, and when you've got someone who can take a set piece like that, it's always a useful uh, tool to have. I, I think he's great, and I think he'll have a great season for them. I think he's sort of been brought in to do the Ruben Loftus cheek roll um, mm-hmm. a couple of seasons ago for Palace. Of just you know, you've got three midfielders who were who were there to keep it tight, and then you know, as they can break the lines like Loftus Cheek did, and, and and go and support the attackers and. Yeah, I, I think he's been great. I think he will be. Um, he's one of them. I'm surprised a bigger team didn't make the move for him. Mm, me too, actually. Take, yeah. take the gamble, but maybe there's something in that. But it wouldn't surprise me now if if you know someone like an Arsenal, Spurs, or City are, are paying way over the odds in a couple of seasons' time because he's impressed at Palace. Mm, I'm glad he's gone there though because he's going to play, isn't he? Which is the most important thing yeah, for a, true, a player yeah. at that, that age. Um, is that Helder Costa own goal, the unluckiest own goal you've ever seen, Lewis? Or do you think the keeper warrants a bit of criticism for getting caught out at his near post there? Oh, I'm so torn on this. <laughs> like, it was so desperately unlucky. Yeah. Um, like the, the chances of the ball, you block that cross, the chance of it sort of spinning into the near post a million to one. Mm. So like on that, I think I have to have a bit more sympathy with with um, Ilan Meslier because how if I'm calling it a million to one, how's he meant to <laughs> yeah. preempt that it might <laughs> yeah. happen? Like when I saw the replay, I did think he, he was a bit slow getting across. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And and it sort of gone under him, and I did think he maybe could have kept it out. But at the same time, if he had kept it out, I think we'd all be saying like that was a spectacular save. So you probably. Can't blame him that much, even if I did think that he maybe could have got down to it a bit quicker. Mm. Joel, are you ready to apologise to Roy Hodgson yet? Absolutely not. No. no. <laughs> we have a thing. We have a thing with Liverpool fans. Is a, a little weird thing about um, the Roy Hodgson algorithm that you know at the end of the season, the win, draw, and loss column will look exactly the same. It'll be the same numbers in each one. And right now, Palace are winning games. So that's great, and they're probably winning the next few as well. But then at some point, they'll go and lose six or seven just to even up. <laughs> they might even throw the games to, to even that up. And they're four and against Columns, 12 12. So that just sums it up. They're doing great <laughs> in the moments, but it's Roy Hodgson. Mediocrity just follows them around. Look how animated he gets when you mention Roy Hodgson. <laughs> He's so bitter. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> uh, Southampton extended their unbeaten run to six matches when they won 2 0 against Newcastle on Friday evening. Lewis, you tipped Southampton to be the dark horses before the season began. What was your rationale behind that? And aside from their results, what have you seen so far to prove your theory? I just I just think Ralph Arsenal was really good. Mm. Um I think he's really good and I think they were really good after lockdown and obviously it was a bit of a weird situation and you didn't know how, how teams had come back um, with the restart at the end of last season but they played really well back then and they just play a style of football that I think it's one of those that it it drags teams down to their level um, no matter what the team is, how how much of an advantage they might have on a sort of talent talent-wise. Southampton will give anyone a game and it's a it's a style that maybe can not pay off when you're the favourite but I think Southampton have got a pretty poor squad and it's a style that can lead to a lot of upsets if you're playing against teams with more talent than you. These games like this, the one against Newcastle, these are the ones they have to win to, to sort of make up extra points, I guess, the, mm. the ones that you'd maybe expect them to win because... I think they'll pick up more than their fair share when they're playing teams that are in the European places. And yeah, it's just quite nice, isn't it, to see Southampton doing well again. I mean, they're just quite a likeable club. 
Mm, absolutely, yeah. Uh, they're, they're without Danny Ings due to injury at the moment. And we've mentioned in the past that I tipped Che Adams to be a flop last season. He scored a lovely goal in this game. That's his third goal in four games. Do you think they've got a quality striker on their hands after all, Joel? I do, actually. I, I really rate him. I think his, his, his first season, like, you know, last year, I, you look at sort of his, his where he was taking the shots at the end, you know, overall the season, and his, his XG, he should have done better, but he was getting in good positions, and and I think that that's promising for them. And 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 now sort of seeing the benefits of of that, where he sort of he is getting a few more goals to start the season, he's getting a bit more involved in in the play, and there is something about him. And and you know, maybe he's, he's going to step up in, in Danny Ings' absence to, to be the main man, a self handsome. Uh, you know, that that the goal we talked to that's an incredible finish. That by the way, if you've mm. you've got if you've got that technique in your lock and you, you're not a bad footballer at all, yeah. um, you know you know what it's, it's promising for him. I, I, I know I'm glad that he's he's finally putting the ball in the back of the net because he, he needed to. Um, but yeah, all, all looking good there for Southampton. Mm. Uh, Lewis, I was going to ask you after witnessing the latter end of his time at Arsenal and his disappointing spell at Everton, are you surprised at all to see Theo Walcott thriving back at Southampton? I am a little bit surprised to see him playing this well. Um, what a lovely man, by the way. Theo <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I am. I am. But I think it just it suits him. Maybe it suits him a little bit more playing in a team where. You can play on the break. His pace is important. It's not just pace, but having that speed for all those years, it's an understanding of the spaces and the movement and when to use it and, and when to go. And he's a really unselfish player as well. So I think playing, he played on Friday in the front two with Shea Adams. I think it suits him down to the ground to play up front with somebody else. Um, and maybe you'll play a bit wider when Danny Engs is back and those two play up front together. It's just, it's just nice. I'm happy to see it. And I think it's... Obviously, Gareth Bale's gone back to Tottenham. So I'm always a little bit surprised that more players don't look to sort of go back to where it all began at the end of their careers mm. and and have that sort of fairy tale ending kind of one or two seasons at the end of their careers. It's nice, and I hope Walcott stays there because um, I don't see him getting back uh, in the team at Everton. I don't think Everton are interested in having him back. So I hope that the clubs can figure something out at the end of the season so that he stays as well. Yeah, good for him. And to think they say you should never go back. What a load of bollocks that is. <laughs> Joel, I feel like I've run out of stuff to say about Newcastle now. They've got Chelsea after the international break. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won that game, would you? No, I, I've got nothing to say about them either. Yeah. But the thing is, they're playing Chelsea at home. It's a lunchtime kickoff after the international break on the Saturday. That's just got two ones in Newcastle all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Two shots, two goals. Yeah, two exactly. <laughs> Fulham are back to losing ways after they were beaten 1-0 at West Ham on Saturday night. Uh, they could have nicked a point had <laughs> Adam Luckman not made one of the worst attempts at a Penenka penalty I've ever seen in the 98th minute. What on earth was he up to there, Lewis? Head's gone. Hashtag head's gone. <laughs> His head's absolutely gone. And it's, oh my goodness. He thought he was being clever. Um just don't do that. You don't do that. So embarrassing. Not in the last it? minute. Yeah. He turned. He tweeted on on, and I'm, I like. I feel bad for him as well. He's just a kid, and mm. and you've spoken to him before, Dan. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and he came across quite quite well then. And but he's just. It's the last minute. You're losing. You you don't do it. And then he tweeted on on Sunday about something about uh 
that, that he won't do that again. I don't think you'll be taking a penalty again. Now. <laughs> I don't think anyone's letting you near a penalty spot for a very long time. <laughs> well, Scott Parker said after the game, if you're going to take a penalty like that, you've got to score. I just think, why take a penalty like that in the first place? Like, why, <laughs> why bring more variables into the penalty situation? Why make it harder than it should be? Just smack it's it. A, like It's a bit old school, but yeah, Graham Alexander. Yeah. Just, you just step yeah. up and you just absolutely smash it. Yeah. And always pick the way you're going to go and don't change your mind. That's how you take a penalty, in my experience. You know, that, you know um, Leighton Baines used to, uh, used to ask his son before he went to a game which corner to go in. Really? So that, like, because then he knew he couldn't change his mind because he'd let his son down. Oh. So his son told him which corner to put <laughs> there the There you go. In. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> uh, before that, Thomas Suchek had scored what proved to be the winning goal in the 91st minute. He's been there since January, but he's been a brilliant signing for them, hasn't he, Joel? Yes, he's um you know you won Czech Football of the Year in 2019, so clearly mm. he's got some talent. Um, but no, I I think he's and Mourinho sort of alluded to this the other week. He's David Moyes has found his name by one Fellaini. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a, a big tall guy who can trap the ball on his chest and get the you know the game up the field for West Ham. He's been he's been brilliant, and the thing is with him and West Ham are feeling the benefits of this. He's someone who's won the Czech League a couple of times, and and, and obviously, okay, we, could, we can laugh about the quality of the football in Czechoslovakia, um, but the, the no, Czech Republic. Where? Say. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What well, year I, is this? Way back. I know, <laughs> I know they play old school football, but <laughs> <laughs> we can we can laugh about the standard of football in, in, in the country. But the, the thing is, he's he's someone who's used to winning, and you know he's got that mentality, and he's bringing that to to West Ham. It's going to have an effect on the players, and I think you look at him since he's come in, and, and look at West Ham since he's come in. He's had, he's had a positive effect on them and, and fair play to him. He's, he's, I, think, I think he's good to watch, to be honest. Mm. It was worth you saying that just to hear someone say Czechoslovakia in a Scouse accent. <laughs> <laughs> Czechoslovakia. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> the weekend got off to a thrilling start when Brighton held Burnley to a nil-nil draw. Brighton have won just one game this season. Is that good enough, Lewis? Do you think? I mean, obviously not, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, Dan. Yes, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, it, I, I mean, but I think they've been really unlucky. I, they were they were unlucky not to beat Crystal Palace. I think Crystal Palace they drew one all. And then Palace only shot was the penalty that they scored. Um, they had that. Re- ridiculous mad game against Man United when they, they lost with after the final whistle had gone. Um they lost to narrowly to Spurs last week, Gareth Bale scoring quite late on. I ju- I just think if the balls bounced a little bit differently then Brighton could easily be sat on sort of ten or twelve points and we're talking about them being safely in mid table and having a good start to the season. So it's just those fine margins sometimes. Um, I think they'll be fine, honestly, but they're going to have to obviously pick up results soon because without points on the board, it does start to get a little bit worrying. Yeah. What, what do you think of Graham Potter after all this time he's been at Brighton, Joel? Do you think he's delivered? I'm not sure what he can be expected to be delivered and, and what Brighton's ambitions and expectations are because I guess if they stay in the, in the Premier League each season, they, you know, They've they've been successful and, and Graham Park can be considered success. Um, the thing is, he, he was brought in to, to to make them a bit more attractive and and play a bit more uh, a bit more of attractive style of play, expansive style of play. And and I guess 
at times they do play that. They do try and play that. Um, they seem to have a lot of centre-backs and somehow he gets five centre-backs onto the pitch on Friday night and, and not, they're not all playing centre-back. I'm not sure where they're playing. I'm not sure what the formation is, but <laughs> it can look good when, it, when it's paid off. But the thing is, they just I, I think they're great in between both boxes, but when you get to the, they just haven't got someone up front who's clinical enough. Um, Neil Mopai sounds like he backs himself a lot, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure... I'm not sure he's got the standard to, to be, you know, a clinical finish in the Premier League and, and score your 15 goals, which which helps a team like Brighton. I think that that's just their main issue, um, but it's an issue for a lot of clubs. But if they have sort of that out and or Mapai can progress as a player, then I think they'll be all right. But right now, they're just. They're happy where they are, I guess, and stay up. Yeah, well, they've got Danny Welbeck now. He made his first appearance since signing on a free transfer from Watford. If they can keep him fit, they've got a real player on their hands, but it's a big if, isn't it, Lewis, at this point? Yeah, getting minutes from Danny Welbeck is a blood from a stone situation, yeah. unfortunately. He's a, he's a really talented player and he's, he works so hard and has a great understanding of the game, I think. But it's a long time since he'd meant to play much football, unfortunately. Mm. So I hope it changes for him and for Brighton. But it's you don't want to sort of count your chickens because all of the history of the last five yeah. or six years tells you that you probably won't play that much. Yeah, uh, Still no wins for Burnley. They've got Crystal Palace, Man City, Everton and Arsenal in their next four games. Can you see any points coming their way anytime soon, Joel? I think in a normal season for Burnley, they, they're capable of, of getting something out of some of those games. Um, you know, you, you maybe look at Arsenal and they can manage a draw or they, they graft their way to a win over Palace. But I think when you talk about sort of Bielsa and Leeds playing on a knife edge, um, Burnley is the other way where, where their football is more accustomed to the lower leagues, let's say, without being too offensive to them. But, but what it is is they, they work hard and, and they're disciplined and, and they, they graft games and they make it really difficult for the opposition and they win games by 1 or 2 nil by, by doing that. Um, but when when it's not quite on, it's not quite working, it can look horrendous and it can look like League One football. <laughs> and I think that's where we are with Burnley now, where I think also just Sean Dyche and Burnley just come to maybe the end of the road and the end of the cycle for them. And I just don't think, because they could they weren't able to make any big transfers in the summer, they could have brought in Dale Stevens and, uh, and Will Norris, a backup goalkeeper. They weren't be able to add another player, a bit more of a creative player, let's say, or someone else to back up like McNeil. And I think that's just going to be their the, the end of the road for them this year I'm, I'm concerned for them actually I think it's one of them where I'm not sure they'll be able to get out of it to be honest this mm. time poor Sean Dyche poor Sean Dyche well that's all we've got time for this week I've been Dan Burke thank you to Lewis Ambrose and Joel Sanderson Murray for joining me for this one it's the international break now so we'll be back for the next Premier League weekend review podcast on Monday the 23rd of November Ian McCourt will be back later in the week with the Euro podcast however and if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time Anyway, we'll start at the Etihad this week, where Sunday's big match between the two fa- title. Fa- I'll start to do that again. We'll start at the Etihad this week, where Sunday's big match between two. T- the- oh, fucking hell! <laughs> <laughs>
Just leave it in like that. <laughs> I might have to at this point. 